Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And it's a problem that even Tom Hanks can't solve because it is a Texas-sized problem. If you've adopted a dog in recent years, you've probably spent some time scrolling through pages and pages online of beautiful mixed dogs waiting for their forever home. You'll be hard-pressed to find any two dogs that look the same, but you may have noticed that they have one thing in common. Many hail from the Lone Star State of Texas. It seems like every other dog in shelters across the country is from Texas. And so we've been wondering, what is going on in Texas? Today, we are hoping to shed some light on an issue that needs your support. That's today on Dog Edition. Hello, I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Olivia Bradley from Seattle, Washington. Welcome to Dog Edition, where voices from around the world consider all things dog. So, Jim, this idea for me came from the fact that I have dogs that I rescued from places in Seattle, but both of them are from the Houston area. And I know dogs in New York that were rescued from shelters in Texas. There are a lot of complex factors that are contributing to this issue. Some of them are political and some of them are cultural. We're going to hear from a few different people who are going to shed some light on all of those different facets of this very multifaceted problem. So if you want to find out what's happening in Texas and you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's go for a walk because we've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey, Pepper, want to go for a walk? So, Jim, as I ventured off to try to get to the bottom of this big question of uh, what's up with all the Texas dogs, I kind of naively thought that I could give you a simple answer here, and I was definitely wrong. I was able to get to the root of the problem, but it would take maybe a whole series to explain everything growing from the roots, if you will. So to set the scene, I was watching this hour-long YouTube video to kind of get a visual of what's going on down there in the Houston area. It was this long, meandering, verite documentary footage out of a car window driving through Houston neighborhoods, and there are dogs everywhere. Like, I can't even quite explain it. It's There were just dogs all over the place. Wandering the streets. Mm-hmm. Out in the streets. In, in more of the rural parts of Houston or in no. downtown Houston? In the residential areas. There are dogs mm. everywhere. In the streets, loose. A lot of them seem to be pregnant or like they gave birth recently. And I'm kind of mesmerized by this footage. I'm just kind of in a trance when it cuts to an animal rights demonstration. And then there's someone with a megaphone. Y'all can hear me now? Yeah. All right. Hey, y'all. My name is Michelle Gans. I'm a candidate for District C. I'm not a politician. I'm a person. I'm for making an ordinance against selling uh, breeded animals. This was my first lead. I tracked this person down on social media, hoping they could give me some more insights into the situation in Houston. And just for clarification, Ethan Michelle has changed their name, adding Ethan to the top since this video was taken. Hey, y'all. My name's Ethan Michelle Gans, and I like to advocate for the people and the animals. 
My dogs are family. So if you don't like my dogs, you don't even come in my house. But there are some people that think dogs are like beneath people. It's like a cultural thing down here. They think they're dogs. They need to just be outside and be dogs, you know. So a lot of the loose dogs are owned dogs. Owned dogs. So they're not homeless dogs. They're owned. Do they have collars? That's right. So many of the dogs in the streets of Houston belong to people. And most of the Texas dogs that we see in shelters across the country are actually a byproduct of those free-roaming dogs. I'm guessing a huge part of the issue is that these free-roaming dogs are not spayed and neutered. Right. Which brings me to the weather. The weather? The weather. So I live in Seattle. People cannot keep their dogs outside even if they wanted to. It's cold, it's wet, it's just not hospitable. But in Texas, it's warm pretty much year-round, so a lot of people keep their dogs outside 24-7. And those dogs have way more opportunities to breed. So there are puppies being born year-round. And on top of that, their puppies have a much higher survival rate, given that cold weather is not a factor. Now... I live in a warm climate here in Hawaii, but we don't have dogs running around and uh, being fertile. So there's a lot of different factors going into it, as Ethan Michelle explained. It's the cultural mindset. A lot of people just don't know any better, and some people just don't care. They also put me in contact with some rescuers who told me about the other factors that are contributing to this problem. Syl and Alicia run the Houston H4M street team. H4M? Yeah, so H4M stands for Huts for Mutts. They used to build dog houses for people whose dogs were without shelter, but the problem has expanded and so has their work. So right now they're going door to door, offering flea medication, educating people on the importance of spay and neuter, and when necessary, reporting cases of neglect. Here's Alicia. So I always use the analogy of language. So our mouths, our throats, our our larynx are all the same. The muscles are all the same in everybody's face. But we speak a different language. And that has to do with the brain and what you were exposed to as a small child, right? If you grew up in the North or the South, you speak a different dialect. And that is because that's what's exposed to you as a small child. It's the same way of your thoughts about any kind of cultural norms. If you grew up and it's normal for you to be exposed to a dog with fleas all over it, to be, you know, emaciated and having puppies, to be roaming the streets, to be chained up, this is just formed in their mind because they can't conceive of anything else. So it sounds like people are just, I don't know, desensitized to the conditions that are causing the problems. Is that right? Right. You know, keeping dogs outside, leaving them unaltered, and expecting that they're going to breed with other dogs. Those are all things that people don't really think twice about in this area. It's cultural, as she says. So let's really dig into the why. Why don't people spay and neuter their dogs? Again, it's complicated. There are just so many dogs and not enough clinics to spay and neuter them all. Mm -hmm. They're all booked months in advance. And then the other thing to consider is that even at low cost clinics, it's, you know, about a hundred dollars for the procedure. And the minimum wage in Texas is like $7 and 25 cents. So even if you're making several dollars more than that, it, if it costs a hundred dollars to spay your dog, here's what Alicia said. 
thing is, if you're working at a at a nine dollar an hour job, you can never save a hundred dollars. Your kid needs groceries, you know, all these things. There's never going to be a hundred dollars. So. One part of the solution is bringing free spay and neuter programs Mm -hmm. to the communities in the Houston area that need the most. Make it convenient, accessible, and free. That's step one. So is it all about the money or are there some other cultural influences? Yeah, there's definitely some other factors. And that's the tricky part. A lot of people don't want to get their dogs spayed or neutered. They absolutely believe that before they can get their dog fixed, she's supposed to have one to two litters of puppies. And this is something that I can't really explain because I've asked them, what makes you think that? Oh, well, I've always heard that. It's like a mother's, what do you call it's that? It's like an old wives' tale. Yes. You also notice that we're talking about spaying dogs because in these neighborhoods, neutering a dog is, oh, a, is a Herculean a a, yeah. effort to get people to. But these men are so. These men would not let go it's of, crazy. Their, of their dogs. Uh, Somehow it's directly related to their manhood. We will tell them, you know, a, a male dog can smell a female two miles away in heat and it'll drive them crazy. They'll become aggressive and this, that, and the other, but you just can't. Hmm. They actually believe that their male dog will become a little sissy dog, won't uh, guard their property anymore. Some guy said, well, I heard that if you neuter a dog, that it becomes gay. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I said, there's no such thing as a gay dog. This has a lot to do with our culture here in Texas. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a cowboy, or if you're a Hispanic community or the black community, they all seem to be very attached to their male dogs. So there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) (laughs) Really? It sounds like science. Yeah. Clearly there's some misinformation circulating Mm. that is partially responsible for people's resistance to the idea of altering their dogs. Wow. That is interesting. And it sounds like the perfect storm. You've got cultural norms colliding with optimal breeding conditions, and it all comes together to have allowed the problem to get so much worse than it would have under slightly different circumstances. Right. And I think that's what I was getting at earlier when you talked about how in your community, where you do have that warm climate, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not seeing these dogs roaming loose in the streets. Well, you maybe don't have the same cultural norms there where that's maybe not acceptable, or maybe most people do have their dogs spayed and neutered, right? We don't have those loose dogs here in Hawaii now, but but in honesty, we do have a bunch of feral cats, but these aren't feral dogs. These are are dogs that belong to people, but they're just allowed to roam. Right. And that is the difference here is that these dogs are owned by people. Uh, And here's the thing. It's easy to point the finger at the people who have these dogs in their possession, but it's not really their fault. Like the problem has just gotten so out of control. So many of these dogs in the street that we consider owned dogs are the puppies of the puppies of the puppies of a dog that somebody maybe got from a breeder 10 years ago. So it's not like these people asked to have five dogs. They're just trying to take care of the animals in their neighborhood to the best of their ability. Well, it sounds like a Texas-sized problem, and I'm sure there is a Texas-sized government solution? Potentially. (laughs) We'll discuss that when we return. Stay tuned. 
And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, grassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. <laughs> it infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, <laughs> I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpop, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpop is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpop Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S., Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. Welcome back to Dog Edition. So, Jim, remember that video I was telling you about earlier where I found Ethan Michelle? I do. There was somebody else in that video that I knew I had to talk to. Shelby Rockmore is very vocal in the animal rescue community, and she kind of reminds me of Elle Woods from Legally Blonde, if Elle Woods were a lobbyist for animal rights. You, however, had time to hide the gun, didn't you, Chutney? After you shot your father. I saw a clip of her speaking at a city council meeting about Bark, the city shelter. So when I was here last time, Mayor Turner, you responded that this deferred intake policy was in order to control disease. However, in the most recent statement released by Bark, they're stating intake is now closed on Saturdays due to, and I quote, recent budget cuts from the city of Houston. So I'm not done, please. So what's the deal? Are they controlling disease? Has funding been cut in the past two weeks? She does sound like Reese Witherspoon in Legally Blonde. I just loved her energy. So I spoke with Shelby, and I really wanted to get her perspective on the political side of this, because I've been talking to people who've, you know, they've got their feet on the ground trying to help dogs, but I really wanted to see what people are doing on a broader scale. I got involved in animal rescue back in 2016. My mom saw a picture of a puppy that was going to be euthanized at our county animal shelter in Houston, Texas. And she said, hey, I know you don't have work today, so you need to go up to the shelter and adopt this dog. I've just been involved ever since. Shelby started a volunteer page called Houston and Harris County Animal Volunteers in hopes of addressing some of the problems in the county animal shelter. Very quickly after that, we really realized that it it wasn't so much something that we could fix from the inside because the shelter and the shelter staff wasn't the problem. It more had to do with the county government. So we really, we went above the shelter. My mom and I went to go speak at Harris County Commissioner's Court back in 2016. There were 30 people there to speak back to back about tax reform. And 
we were the only ones there to speak about animals. We were the first volunteers or fosters that had spoke at the county government in over four years. Not a single person had brought up animal issues to the people that make the budget. So when Shelby and her mom went to the county government to address those issues at the shelter, how did that turn out? So there's actually been some big improvements in the Harris County Animal Shelter over the last six years. That's awesome. Yeah, but the issue is giving money to the shelters is not going to fix the problem because the shelters are full. And they will continue to be full so long as there are dogs in the street making more dogs. And that sounds like the problem is you have to get to the root of it, which is not the dogs in the shelters, but the dogs roaming free and making other puppies. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody I've talked to agrees that the solution is spay and neuter. And, you know, again, it's sometimes inaccessible and unaffordable. Hmm. And Syl and Alicia can't do it alone. They're going door to door. Literally, they're they're going door to door. They are. Yeah. They're going door to door. That's a way to make connections and have a conversation with people. But if someone comes to your door and tells you like, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're probably not going to listen to them. No solicitors, please. Exactly, yeah. yeah. If everyone in your neighborhood is also doing the same thing, like you're not going to be very receptive to that necessarily. Mm-hmm. But say there was an organized event where spay and neuter services are provided right there for free. If your neighbors are doing it, maybe you'll be more open to the idea. So I asked everyone I spoke with who could possibly pull this off. And they all pointed me in the same direction. Mary Tipton started the Empty Shelter Project as a part of the work that she does through her rescue, Canine Angels. Here's Mary. Spaying and neutering is the answer. It's not adoptions. Adoptions feel good and people love the adoption stories, but we've got to spay and neuter. We go into underserved communities and we set up all of our surgery tables. We vaccinate, we microchip and register it to the microchip of the owner, and we alter the animals all for free. So how many of these clinics do they do, I don't know, on an annual basis? They've done about 20, 21 events so far since they started back in 2016. But if they had more money, would they be able to do more? We always need money. We need funding. But my problem is finding enough spay-neuter vets who will do this. It's back-breaking work. They break for lunch, but the rest of the time they're standing there doing surgery. And it all seems to come back to legislation. What we need is legislation that lets us bring high-volume vets in from other states. You know, after Hurricane Harvey, we mandated that veterinarians could come in on an emergency vet license and work for six months. But it's always an emergency in Texas with animals. We need that in place all the time that you can come to Texas anytime and stand here and do surgeries all day for me, you know? So like Shelby said, we've really got to do a better job of going and speaking at City Hall County Commissioner's Court. I truly believe in my heart that that's how we can make a bigger difference. Shelby's very good at that. And I have been to some some council meetings with her, but it's, it's she and I sitting there, you know? Nobody stays passionate enough for long enough to get anything done. So they really need more people in the animal rescue community showing up to speak on this issue. And the glimmer of hope here is that we know big strides are possible through this avenue. My husband started working on this last year and it took him a full year to get it all the way through the red tape of city bureaucracy. But we've established such a reputation now that 
the city of Houston has approved us for 1,000 surgeries. They are paying us to alter 1,000 animals for them in the city of Houston, owned animals, keeping their offspring out of the shelters. And we've heard that they're going to give us 2,000 for next year. So now we're not just only private funding, we're also getting the attention of the city and we're trying to get the county involved. So they've got the city's attention, and now the mission is getting the government to allow veterinarians from other states to come in and help with these spay and neuter events. Yes, Mary told me that in an ideal world, they would do an event every month, like clockwork. So with the government support, there is definitely a path forward. It's certainly something that we can continue to follow here in Dog Edition, what is happening in Houston. We'll do some periodic check-ins and see how things are progressing. Yeah, I would definitely like to keep tabs on this story. And a fun side note, I was originally interested in this because both of my dogs are from Texas. And in researching for this episode, I actually was in contact with somebody from the organization that brought Casper, my dog, up here. And I found out that he has a littermate in the area. So I'm hoping to get in contact with that person and maybe get the dogs together. I think that would be really sweet. Reunions. That is awesome. Well, well, let's make sure we we cover that or at least we try to we try to get them connected because that would be awesome. And maybe, you know, Casper can show the other dog how to use buttons to talk. Oh, my gosh, this could be so much fun. And uh, anyway, Olivia, thank you for bringing this story to our attention. So if you are listening to this and thinking, I'd like to do something to help those dogs in Houston. Well, you can, because the Empty Shelter Project is a 501c3. It's a nonprofit, and they would love your contributions. We will put a link in today's show notes so you can get in touch with them if you are so inclined. Well, that is it for today, but we are baking future episodes of Dog Edition And I want to reach out to you for two things. First of all, ideas. What would you like to hear more of about dogs and dog-adjacent stories here on Dog Edition? And secondly, who do you know who might be interested in joining what we call Team Dog? That's because Dog Podcast Network is growing and we are hiring. We have a number of jobs available. Please check out our website at dogpodcastnetwork.com slash jobs. And you can also sign up there to be notified of new opportunities when they come up. Again, that is all for today. I want to thank you for hitting that play button and spending some time with us. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Olivia Bradley bringing you newsworthy tales. And I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.